about when they take clothes and how to take clothes. So if you've got donations for them, we ask you reach out to Madcap and you can handle that yourself. But we will still take men's clothes for Grace Place. We have groups that go there um, twice a month and can take those clothes. You'll see in your bulletin that there are specific most needed items for men's clothing, but any men's clothes you can bring and we can get delivered to Grace Place. We do, however, ask, um, don't just drop off clothes. Come to the office, let us know you're leaving them, and we've moved the clothes to the back of the foyer. We were starting to just kind of, clothes were just starting to show up, and you can imagine that could very quickly become an issue. Um, so men's clothes are great. Any type of athletic shoes, men's or women's, are great. Um, we don't need um, sandals or women's dress shoes. We just have nowhere to take them. Um, but you are welcome to call Madcap and make, uh, prep, make an arrangement with them for taking stuff there. But any men's clothes is fine, and you just read through that to make sure we're all on the same page. And we did begin our Wednesday nights together last week. We had a wonderful time out on the lawn uh, eating together and then had some table, intergenerational table talk. This week, we will also join on the lawn at 545, bring your own brown bag lunch. We'll have um, dessert and drinks provided. The tables will be set up. If you can throw a chair in, that'd be great. If not, we do have some chairs available. But we'll eat out there, and then we will break into some age group ministries after we eat around 6.15 or 6.20. Um, and the next week will be table talk again. So kind of going back and forth. Um, but for now, that's how we're handling Wednesday nights. And we will update those and change them um, as we need to. There are some reminders for our tween, our bridge group ministries and youth. Youth will meet tonight at the same time. Bridge group, if you want to attend the overnight trip to the Gulfport Aquarium, today is the RSVP for that. So let's... Um, let me know if there are those who would like to attend that. Um, and there's other information um, about those groups in the bulletin. All of our third and fourth graders, we didn't get to Bible 101 for our third graders, but we have an eight-week course in Sunday school that we will be using with our third and fourth graders called Finding Your Way Through the Bible. So we've sent postcards out with all our third and fourth graders. Bring your Bibles and join us at the beginning of October for a time to um, learn how to use those gift Bibles that we gave you. Um, it'd be eight weeks beginning the 1st of October. And just a reminder, the Gift Plus mobile app that we have for our giving is retiring this week. So you must download the new app, and there's information in the bulletin about that. Your login, um, your recurring gift should all be the same. Um, if you have any questions about that, please let us know. And if you've never used the Gift Plus mobile app, Now's your chance. Download the new mobile app. You see it in your bulletin, and you can just set that up and do your giving um, through an app. Um, pretty simple to use. As always, please take time to read through our bulletin, see all that is going on within the life of our church and how you can be involved. And remember to pray over that list of prayer concerns. Read about those that we are holding heavy on our hearts and minds and lift those in prayer. But now, let us prepare our hearts and our minds to worship God this day.
I invite you to stand and join with me for our call to worship and our opening prayer. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let us pray together. O God, source of light, salvation, and strength, we seek to know you and to serve you day by day. Keep us safe from all that would hinder as we try to walk in your way. When difficulties come, give us courage to wait for you. Help us to see your goodness displayed every day. Thank you for love beyond comprehension. Amen. Take your hymnals and turn to hymn number 344. Join together as we sing, Lord, you have come to the lake shore. Hymn number 344.
We belong to God, eternal and infinite, creator of all things and all that is to come. We follow Christ, who comes to us from God and reveals God to us. He heals people and transforms lives and calls us to join in his ministry. He was crucified, died, and was raised by God and reigns over all creation. And he bids us to die and rise with him in the service of the healing of the world. We live by the Spirit, together with the communion of saints, as members of the body of Christ, God's holy universal church. We are confident in the forgiveness of sins, the power of the resurrection, and the reality of eternal life. In all things, it is our desire to follow Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit for God's glory. Amen. You may be seated. He cries in the corner where nobody sees. He's the boy with the story no one would believe. He prays every night, dear Lord, won't you please? Could you send someone here who will love me? Who will love me for me? Not for what I have done or what I will become who will love me for me Cause nobody has shown me what love, what love really means Love really means Her office is fading a little each day She's the woman whose husband has run away. She'll go to the gym after working today. Maybe if she were thinner, then he would have stayed. Who would love me for me? Not for what I have done or what I will become. Who will love me for me cause nobody has shown me what love what love really means what love really means he's waiting to die as he sits all alone he's a man in a cell who regrets what he's done he utters a cry from the depths of his soul. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I want to go home. Then he heard a voice somewhere deep inside. And it says, I know you've murdered and I know you've lied 
and I have watched you suffer all your life and now that you'll listen I'll tell you that I will love you for you not for what you have done or what you will become I will love you for you I will give you the love the love that you never knew love you for you not for what you have done or what you will become I will love you for you I will give you the love the love that you never knew spoke to me. <laughs> we'll take it right there. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Have you ever played follow the leader? Yeah. How, how do you play follow the leader? What does that mean? You follow a person, but what does that mean? What do you do? Well, how, what does that mean? You do the person says? Is it just what they say? What else do you do? You do the person does, yeah, do what they say. I thought about using this time to play follow the leader, and then I thought that could get out of hand real fast. I know, now you want to play, don't you? What now? Yeah, follow. So yeah, I thought about it, but I think we're going to... I know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought it up. We're going we're gonna to not do it. But I am going to tell you a story about some people who had to learn. They had to learn kind of what it means to follow and, um, yeah, who to follow. Um, had some hard questions. But this says, what's that line say right there? Jesus goes fishing. Jesus goes fishing. So let's see. What Jesus does when Jesus goes fishing. Yeah, that's the net for the fish. It says, one at the fish, yes. You can't see the net? You see the net right here? Going in? It's a long net. It says, one Sunday morning, Jesus stood at the edge of Lake Galilee, teaching people how they could live with joy in their hearts. As he spoke, more and more people crowded around to hear 
Jesus had to step into a boat owned by Simon the fisherman. Jesus sat down and from there began teaching the people who had gathered on the shore. When he finished teaching, Jesus said, let's go fishing. Who's been fishing before? Yeah? Y'all been fishing before? Did you catch a big, did you catch a big fish? Yeah, I've been fishing before. No fish, I've had those fishing days too. Medium-sized fish. Well, well, Jesus said, let's go fishing. So let's see what happens. Simon replied, Master, we've been fishing all night, and we didn't catch a thing. Then he sighed, but if you want us to try again, we will. So they took the boat out into the deep water, and Simon and the other fishermen threw the nets into the sea. Soon they had caught so many fish that the boats almost began to sink. Amazed, Simon fell to his knees. Master, he said, I am not good enough to be near you. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Okay, and here's our word that we were talking about. Jesus says, follow me, and you will not just catch fish, you will catch people for God. So there's that word, follow me. So they're having to learn what that follow me means. Simon and the other fishermen left their boats on the beach and followed Jesus. They became his first disciples. Okay, it says they followed Jesus. So how did we say you, you play follow the leader? Yeah, but what did it mean to follow? Remember what you told me? What did it mean to follow? You do what the person says and what the person what? And what the person does. So when they were following Jesus, they had to watch Jesus, right? See how he treated people? See what he did? And Jesus healed a lot of people. And he helped people, right? He also would try to... Well, I can't get that back. We'll try in a second. He also um, would try to help people be you know, better versions of themselves, be better people, be kind and nice. So they would watch all this, and that's how they learned what it meant to follow. So we don't have Jesus standing right in front of us, do we? No. no. But we're still called to be disciples. So we... So we come to church to kind of learn what it means to follow Jesus, to learn how to be and live more like Jesus. All right, so y'all fold your, hand, fold your hands, and we're going to say this little prayer right down here. You can repeat after me, okay? You ready? Fold your hands. Dear God, help me to follow you. Amen. All right. So, yeah, it does. So all of our kids age um, three through kindergarten, y'all can go with Courtney and David Whelan to extended session. And I know. And the rest of you can go back to your seats. All right now. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with y'all on this uh, beautiful fall uh, Sunday, and particularly not just good to uh, be with fellow followers of Jesus and be with you in this particular congregation, but actually really good and kind of cool to be up here um, and, and getting to have an opportunity to preach and, and share uh, from Scripture with y'all because that's obviously a very important 
and sacred and special time. But also, as some of y'all know, I grew up in the in the Baptist tradition, and it feels like I, I got so committed to that, even though I, I lead our youth here, that I found a way to be the ultimate back row Baptist. On most Sunday mornings, I am literally the furthest person back in the room. I'm back there in the back. Uh, thank you all for the folks who are running the live stream in my stead. Good morning to our live stream people as well who are watching us. Normally, I'm the, hey, I got to wait. Um, <laughs> Means they're paying attention. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Good start. Normally, I'm the person furthest back. And this time, I'm actually the one furthest forward. So that's kind of a neat little change of pace from my normal Sunday. But it's good to be with you all as we close out this dive in series. We have transverse the story of scripture, stopping along the way to look at these accounts of individuals who have been invited to dive in, to take that next step, to move beyond and be invited into and accept the invitation that is something bigger and wider and deeper than they could have understood or even imagined prior to that moment, that key invitation moment when you have to decide, am I going to stay where I am or am I going to move forward and move deeper. We've moved through the Hebrew Bible and we've moved into the, the New Testament as of a few weeks ago. And here we are at the end of the series. And I think it's really fitting then ultimately that we do that with a story connected to the resurrection, the fulcrum on which our faith hinges and moves. This, this is the dividing point. This is on which everything else hangs. This is what it really kind of comes down to. And this is the ultimate invitation. We're going to be in Luke's gospel today, the 24th chapter of Luke, starting with verse 13. So as you turn over to there, Luke 24, I'll say, or follow along in the bulletin as well, I'll say, I'm really excited particularly about preaching this text because it might be one of my favorite stories in the gospel. It really, it, there's something special about this text. It is a key, it is a resurrection account and it is really a key resurrection account. I'm, I might be tempted at times to go so far as to say this might be one of the most important stories in the Gospels in that it is a resurrection account, but particularly as we'll see a little, a little bit, is a, it is a resurrection account that looks beyond just the moment of resurrection. It looks beyond just was Jesus dead, he was, he is no longer dead into talking about then what does that mean? And what does that tell us about the wider story of what God is doing in history? There were several commentaries I came across that interestingly all said something very similar. That they, they said that this is one of the most fleshed out and kind of beautiful in a literary sense stories in the Gospels and particularly of any of the resurrection accounts. Many of them, fitting with just how literature was written back then are there there's some artistry in it don't get me wrong but they're a little kind of quicker on details this one is really fleshed out this one almost is again literary nature like you could almost see it in a dramatization or a novel of some kind so with that in mind let's take a look at today's text luke 24 starting with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is near the evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, Again, you can see kind of the, the, the really dramatic and, and almost literary level kind of detail of the story, which really invites us to kind of slow down and, and ponder some of these details, which, funny enough, is our youth will recognize this, what we've been kind of working on in youth ministry uh, this year. We, we're putting a really big emphasis this uh, school year on learning the overall story of Scripture and also just learning how to best approach the Bible and read the Bible well, giving them some tools to be able to do that beyond just, just dumping Im uh, information into their heads, showing them and walking through how to go about reading scripture in ways that will benefit them and help form them spiritually for the rest of their lives. So we're gonna do a little about that this morning. It's great to do that with them. Uh, I'm gonna probably bring back some old school uh, memories for some of y'all because with them, they're currently in English classes where their teachers, and I, and I apologize for them when I first told them about this. I said, look, I know that like, we usually meet on Sundays and that's a weekend and, and you have until tomorrow to be back in English class. But those tools you are learning in English class about how to read text closely and how to slow down and answer those details, that helps you read scripture. That will make you a better reader of the Bible to slow down, interrogate the text, and notice those little details the same way you do in English class when you're trying to read Moby Dick or the Scarlet Letter or whatever else. So let's slow down and ask us a few questions of the text. One of the first things we always do when we read a text together, particularly a narrative text in youth Bible study, is to just try to recap the text, the story, to make sure that we are on board with what happened. Uh, it's easy to miss details sometimes, it's easy to miss pieces, it's easy when, depending on which version you're reading, if some of the English doesn't necessarily match up well with colloquial English, so we want to make sure that we slow down and unpack everything. So, the story starts out and says, 
now that same day. Well, that day in question, we want to make sure we, we can look back and see the answer to what that day is. That day is the Easter Sunday. And not just any Easter Sunday, the Easter Sunday. The day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right before this, if you look in Luke, there is, it's, a, it's a resurrection account. So this is that day. The same day that early in the morning, Jesus was resurrected. The women are the first witnesses and the first preachers and proclaimers of the gospel. The disciples are in pure chaos and confusion at what is going on. And Luke just kind of says, meanwhile, uh, camera flip over to this other scene. So you've got two disciples headed to Emmaus, trying to get out of here, trying to leave. What they're leaving is the fact that the thing that they had hoped in, that Jesus was, the one, was that fulcrum of history, that the man, the man Jesus Christ, who was going to be the one, was to be the Messiah to redeem Israel, to flip things back towards God and alter history forever. And of course, it turns out, turns out that was the case, but they don't know that yet. The last thing they know is that Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead at the hands of the, authority, the civil and religious authorities, and people who are associated with him are probably kind of a little nervous at the moment. Beyond just having their hopes dashed, what's to stop the authorities from doing the same thing to them? There's a reason why Peter goes, I don't know this guy. This is a depressing moment. This is a dark moment. It's also a pretty scary moment. It's the first day of the week between depression and just deciding, I don't know what to do with my life now. The thing that I thought mattered is gone. And the genuine threat to their lives, it's a really good time to get out of Jerusalem. So they leave, they're headed to Emmaus, maybe that's where they're from, or maybe there was a stop along the way uh, where they felt they could safely stop, whatever, they're headed to Emmaus. And Jesus just shows up and they don't recognize him. Ask why are they so downcast? And this is kind of that, that literary nature here. Like, you don't have to imagine them downcast because Luke just flat out tells you, like, they stop and stand still, Luke says, when asked, what's going on? What are you, what are you two talking about? And they say, we had this hope and it's gone. And Jesus says, well, y'all are really kind of missing the whole story here. Let's, let me explain to you the rest of the story. This is, this is not the period at the end of the sentence that you think it is. He explains it to them, and they later recount and say that our hearts were burning inside of us. And that's a really easy thing to talk to a bunch of Methodists about, about your hearts being strangely warm, if you're familiar with the John Wesleyan sort of phrase. This fits very well with that. They, they feel something. And they later recount that they felt something as Jesus explained what this all meant to them. When they get to their destination, Jesus is going to go, keep on going. That is the thing about Jesus. Every time we want to stop, he's busy doing something else. He wants to keep going. They say, it's getting late. Y'all stay with us. And I appreciate that as a, as a Southerner, the, the sense of hospitality there. Uh, that sense of we've got to look out for each other even though you're a stranger, even though we're really depressed and downcast. Uh, my fiance Elizabeth was here for the early service um, to, to be with us this morning. 
And I gotta say, sometimes when I go out fishing, I'll go out a little more wildernessy and it makes her really, really nervous. See, the things out there like don't scare me near as much as one of my favorite hobbies is cooking and, and, and celebrating and, and, and preparing meals for people. It's a real passion of mine, something I really enjoy. And I gotta say, like I go out fishing and there's snakes and, and you know whatever else out there and alligators now that I'm back in the deep south. Did not miss those living in Texas. Um, that's not what scares me. What keeps me up at night is running out of food at a party. Like, that's what's terrifying to me. So, like, when you hear this ancient Near East expectation of hospitality, even to a stranger, like, I, like, I really get that and, and love that about this culture and, and feel a connection with that. So, they extend that offer, say, no, 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 you stay with us, it's getting late. And Jesus breaks bread, he, he re embodies part of that Lord's Supper, that, that Maundy Thursday night, and they realize who it is. And he disappears from their sight and they run back to Jerusalem and tell the disciples. And the story just kind of really bursts forth in Luke's gospel from there. Jesus has indeed returned from the grave. Everything about what we know about life has decided to, get, to, get, to go backwards. But who's in the story? That's another question we tend to ask when we're doing Bible study. Who's in the, we're doing an narrative text. Who's in the story? Obviously Jesus. And you have... Uh, two disciples. We know one of them's name. We know Cleopas. The other one we actually don't know anything about. And when I say that, I mean we also don't know their, this individual's gender. Uh, as some of you may know, uh, Greek functions very similar to Spanish in that everything is gendered. And if you have a mixed group uh, of people, as long as there are males in the group, uh, any pronouns describing the group flex towards the masculine. So if you wanted to use pronouns about like our congregation this morning, you would need to use a masculine pronoun because it is a mixed gender group. Um, Greek works a lot of the same way. And the only pronouns we get about this other disciple are plural pronouns. So we actually don't know even the gender of this, pro this, uh, this other disciple. We just know Cleopas. Then speaking of what we don't know, that's another question we talk about. What, what, what stands out in this text? What maybe do you not know about? What, what you want to find out more about? Well, Luke makes a big deal that they're going to Emmaus. They're not just walking somewhere. He's telling you they're going to Emmaus. And he tells you how far it is. It's a seven-mile walk. That's a decent piece. That's a, that's, it's doable, but it's, it's like... So moving back to the deep south from, from Texas meant that my parents is, is really kind of one of the neat things about being here is about a six, seven hour drive now. Um, before it was a 13 hour drive. It kind of, this kind of distance is kind of something like that. Like it's that kind of distance that you can do relatively easily, but you kind of got to mean to. You, you can't just, the way that like, uh, well, I, I forgot something. I'll run back over to the Kroger over here at the intersection and grab it. This is not that kind of trip. You can do it, but you, you kind of got to mean to. There's actually a little bit of disagreement. You can kind of figure out a radius around Jerusalem for Emmaus based on Luke's direction. But there's actually a little bit of scholarly disagreement about which exact direction it is and where it is. So I really like that Frederick Buechner, in one of his commentaries, tries to get at not just where is Emmaus, but kind of what is, a, is Emmaus. What does Emmaus function as in this story? He's got a quote I really like about it. He says that Emmaus, the way it functions in this story, 
Maybe buying a new suit or a new car or, sm or smoking more cigarettes than you really want. Or reading a second-rate novel or even writing one. Emmaus may be going to church on Sunday. Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred. That even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die. That even the noblest ideas that men have had, ideas about love and freedom and justice, have always in time been twisted out of shape by selfish men for selfish ends. Obviously the stakes in the story I'm about to tell are significantly lower than I thought this guy was the Messiah and I thought the history was going to change forever. But I think there's a common element here. Uh, back when I was in college, and I'll preface this by saying that, so it's, as of a couple, weeks, a couple days ago, it is officially fall. I am preaching on a fall Sunday, and I am legally obligated to make an Alabama football reference. I will actually get in a lot of trouble if I don't. Rick is really excited in the back. So, when I was in college, and some of y'all, particularly some of the younger in the room, may not remember this, but there was a time when Alabama lost a lot more games than we lose currently. I can't, hard to believe, I know. But we lost one of those games where we had no business losing, and it was just a sad, depressing kind of day. And we, we walk out of the stadium. It, it came down to the wall. It was close, ultimately. It shouldn't have been close. We ultimately lose the game. It's in real depression fashion. And we're walking out of there. Tens of thousands of people streaming around those, those corkscrew ramps at the corners of Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. Tens of thousands of people. You could have heard a pin drop. Just everybody, like no one's even mad. It's just kind of. And over the silence, someone I think trying to voice their own frustration or maybe lighten the mood with a little dark levity just yells out, I don't like this. And I, I didn't even say anything, but I just want to be like, me too, pal, none of us do. Like, that's why we're in this state. Listen, to, like no one's talking. We're all depressed. We're leaving, and, and we're going to go back to, to one place to meet up and hang out with a bunch of friends of ours. And uh, one, of, one, one guy says, I'll, I'll meet up with y'all later. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. And he just kind of sets off on his own and just kind of keeps walking and just walks away. <laughs> and later, we, he comes back and rejoins us. And we're like, where did you go? And the place we were hanging out at was much closer to the stadium than, than where he lived. So it was a, it was a fair walk. It, kind of like the, not, not as far as Emmaus, but similar to Emmaus, like you kind of got to mean to, particularly the meeting point is, is closer. He says, I went back to my place and I ate a sandwich alone in the dark. <laughs> this is one of those things I always remember. Like, I went home and I ate a sandwich alone in the dark. Have y'all ever had a moment like that when maybe it's something you know, relatively minor, like a, a depressing end to a football game, or maybe it's something more serious about something about your job or a relationship or your health. But you just, your, your main impulse is, I can't face the thing that is staring me in the eyes right now. Who has felt that? I just want to go home and eat a sandwich alone in the dark. I have felt that. I think we all have probably sometime in the last about year and a half now, right? I just want to go home and eat a sandwich alone in the dark. And I think that's what the Emmaus functions in the story as. It's that place to get back to. It's anywhere other than here. Anything other than dealing with, with this. One of the sort of things we also ask our youth is, where does this connect to the wider story? Because we wanted to, to understand that Scripture is best read in connection with Scripture. So already we've looked back and where it fits in Luke's Gospel, but where does it fit in the wider story of Scripture? Let's think about that recap again, though. You've got two people 
uh, man named Caiaphas, another disciple unknown. Um, there are some people who, in, who there's a fair amount of disagreement about this, so I'm not going like, to hinge everything about this sermon on this. But there are some people that argue that uh, this is just a variant spelling of Clopas, a disciple mentioned in John's Gospel, who is uh, married to a one of the, it feels like, 15 or 20 different Marys in the New Testament, who is also herself a disciple. Regardless of whether or not this is that Clopas, and whether or not this is his wife, I think Luke is taking advantage of the fact that he's not giving away a lot of detail about this other person. I think he wants you to think about two people alone on a road. Two people alone on a road going out from where, in Jewish theology, Jerusalem is the place where God most closely dwells among humanity. This is the point where the divine reaches earth. They're going out from where God's presence is. They are alone, they are depressed, death is around them, and they don't know what comes next. If this sounds, and it involves their eyes being open, and if this sounds familiar, it should. N.T. Wright argues that we should read this as a reversal of Genesis 3, the fall of humanity, that story about when all this death and destruction and terribleness that Jesus came to undo begins. In that story, two people take food for themselves, and their eyes are open, and they see their shame. They see what is wrong with them. And they're cast out from the presence of God, left to walk a road alone. But in this story, they go out and they're walking. And God, from the presence of God, and God finds them on the road and walks along with them and tells them it's going to be okay. That you're missing the wider story. And gives them food and their eyes are open and they see something, a bigger invitation to a story they could not have possibly imagined prior to this. Everything when we look our eye, out with our eyes and, and read books on physics tells us the world moves towards entropy, maximum decay, maximum disorder, maximum loss of energy. And here is a story about entropy going backwards. The dead coming back, sin being pushed away, and the cast out being welcomed home, and home finding them on a lonely road. Luke also, of course, is the same gospel that gives us the prodigal son about a father who can't even wait for his son to get home. And runs out and meets him out in the wilderness when he thinks he's alone. This is, this, is, this, is the, this is the Christian fulfillment of almost the hope scene in that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein musical song, You'll Never Walk Alone, taken from uh, the scenes of a musical to uh, a really moving piece of fan culture in uh, Liverpool FC, an English football club, who, who this is their song and kind of their mantra as a team. You'll never walk alone. I would sing it to you, but y'all don't need that in your lives this early in the morning. Um, none of us do. But I'll, I'll read the lyrics for you. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of a storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk through the rain, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on, with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. Those two didn't walk alone. We don't have to either.
they left. They were scared. They didn't know their hope was, was gone. They thought. They had, they weren't even sticking around the, the, the 11 apostles and the other disciples who were still living, hanging out in Jerusalem for the weekend. They said, we, we need to not be here. They know the testimony of the women, but they, the tomb, the first preachers of the gospel, but they, 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 they can't, they're not ready to believe that yet. So they even acknowledge it and say, like, they tell Jesus, and the irony of this, like, we heard that this guy, Jesus came back from the, the dead. These, these, these women told us that. I don't really know. I, I, would, I would empty my wallet to know what Jesus was thinking. But they say this, and they're, they're leaving. And yet, Jesus comes along them on the road and, tell, and make sure that they, they experience that, that we will never walk alone. And that tells us something really, really important. Not just about uh, that we never walk alone. But that given that they left and left this behind and set out for the wilderness, as it were, if you don't hear anything else today, the invitation to dive in isn't dependent on what you've done, but on what Christ has done. Hear that again. The invitation to dive in isn't dependent on what you've done, but on what Christ has done. It wasn't, they weren't so faithful that like God says, okay, well, you've been faithful, so I'm going to tell you the real secrets now. It turns out I am back from the dead. They are leaving. They're putting this thing behind it, and God comes up from behind them on the road and says, no, 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 no. Dive in. Take the plunge. Take that next step. In fact, honestly, inherently, if you're being invited to dive in, it kind of already inherently means that things aren't as they could be and are probably not even close to what they could be. That's kind of the inherent assumption there. If you're being invited to dive into something bigger and beautiful, it, it probably means that things aren't great. And they're certainly not what they could be. And I, we know that about our lives and we know that about our culture. We reflect that in our own personal lives. Where we, we, we write it in our stories. How much more so is it true of our faith? Everything from the, the ancient stories of, of heroes that, that we chart in like the hero's journey kind of map that you do in literature classes to modern stories like Batman being orphaned before deciding that his life needs to mean something more. Or even just in our own personal lives. If, if things have kind of gotten rough for you and you can look around your life, maybe look around where you live and just see the physical signs of like, I kind of need to take another step in a different direction. That's when the call comes. That's when it begins. And you can start right where you are. It doesn't have to be massive. That first step of diving in doesn't have to be extraordinary. Notice the first thing that, that Cleopas and his associate do here is not hold a rally to announce the resurrection of Jesus. There is no revival here in Emmaus. The first thing they do is just offer hospitality to a stranger. They open up what they have. They open up their ears to an explanation that their minds are opened up and their hearts are ultimately opened up. Just by the simple act of offering hospitality to a stranger. It's interesting, Luke also gives us the parable of rich, the rich man and Lazarus. 
It starts out with the rich man declining to give the beggar Lazarus at his gate anything to eat. Boy, it kind of really begs the question then of the rich man had given something to Lazarus, what would he have seen? They gave a stranger on the road a place to stay for the night some food, and they saw the resurrected Jesus. And we're one of the first people on the whole planet to do it. You can start right where you are. And it, again, it doesn't matter what you've done. Whether you are new to this whole faith thing, or whether you've been doing it for five minutes, or whether you've been doing it for 50 years. Whether just yesterday you were working hard to make things happen here at Parkway Hills, or whether you, you've been kind of struggling and been at that point of, like I said, in the last year and a half, I think we've all had that moment of, I just want to eat a sandwich alone in the dark. A couple of times, I have, I, I, a couple of times without turning the fancy new lights that I strung up there in the youth room, I literally have. Just like when I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do and how we're going to navigate this. I've eaten some sandwiches alone in the dark up there. <laughs> no matter where you are in that, that kind of continuum there, my encouragement to you is whether that, that voice first called to you five minutes ago or 50 years ago, Hear the voice that first called you. Hear what it's, it's crying out to you. Hear and accept the invitation to dive in. Feed those around you. Even if it's something simple that feed the flame of faith in the world around us. It doesn't matter what you've done. The only question now is what you'll do. You've been invited in. You've heard the voice. What are you going to do now? Again, Jerusalem is a fair piece from Emmaus. And it's getting late. That's the kind of the jumping off point of the hospitality. Hey, Jesus, or not Jesus, whoever you are. It's getting late. Stay with us. It's safer that way. And yet they don't say, wow, when, when they realize it's Jesus and he disappears, they don't say, wow, that's crazy. That's so amazing. Let's, let's get some shut-eye and we'll talk about it in the morning and proceed from there. Luke's Gospel tells us that their immediate reaction is to jump up from the table and we have to do something about this. And they, and they book it back to Jerusalem and find the disciples and say, this, it's, it's true. It matters. It has happened. And we are in. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's not based on what you've done. The only thing that matters is when you hear that call, what are you going to do with it? Feel that immediacy, feel that fire. And listen to that voice crying out to you, whether you put yourself in the wilderness or whether the cruel circumstances of life put you in the wilderness. Listen to it and run with the urgency that we have to live as Christ in this world. May we be a people who jump up from our tables to live that way in the world. Amen. As we respond to hearing God's word and come to a time where we will just sit in the presence of God, um, reflect on what we have heard, but also lift our prayers. Um, I want to give you one prayer update. Um, I talked to Ronnie yesterday, and it's just, that, uh, just to say that Melody has taken more of a turn for the worse, and the prognosis is not good. 
Um, so just be in prayer, continued prayer for her, for Ronnie, for Grayson, um, for those that will care and tend to them. And as we go to God in prayer, there will be space for you to lift up names of those that you hold heavy on your heart and mind this day, either silently or loud. Um, and if there's a name that you want to lift that someone else has already lifted, just lift it again. I think it is a beautiful um, picture of how we are community um, and how we believe that God hears our cries when we simply sit in this space um, and raise our voices to God. So now, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. God, we give thanks that you are a God who just shows up on the roads that we walk. We give thanks that you are a God that thinks enough of us that you call each and every one of us to dive into a story of transformation, asking us to take part. God, as we come to this place of worship, we do confess that we know that we have not always been faithful to you in our thoughts and actions. We know we have been selfish in our desires and quarrelsome in our relationships. We know as a people we have allowed fear to divide us from those who seem different and let distrust separate us from our brothers and sisters. God, you are a God of mercy. May you shine your light into our dark places. Save us from our divisive ways. Unite us in the same mind as Jesus Christ, whose story shows us that he chose love over hatred and forgiveness over blame, who brings healing, justice, and peace. God, in you we receive and see mercy and forgiveness. We see Jesus announcing the nearness of your kingdom. And we see the call of the disciples to be fishers of women and men. Give us courage to follow in the way of Jesus, that our lives may indeed bear witness to the good news of the kingdom at hand. And may our vocation serve to draw people to your salvation. Loving God, your light reveals the needs of our world, and your salvation offers hope to the lost. Therefore, we pray for our world and our community. We pray for your holy church, that all the baptized may live in harmony with one another, and our pastors and teachers may be wise and gracious ministers of the gospel. We pray for the world. And for all who suffer under oppression, may you break the yoke of violence and free all people from the burden of war and domestic strife. We pray for the leaders of the nations, that they may be just and faithful in their duty and serve the good of all creation. We pray for those who suffer disease of body and mind, that they may know the power of your healing grace. We pray for those who have died, 
and for those who will die this day, that they may find eternal rest. We pray for those who care for the dying, that they may find peace and comfort. And God, we pray for all the other concerns, lifting the names of those, either silently or aloud, that we hold heavy on our hearts and minds this day. Now, Lady Musgrove and Wisenhorn. Hear, O Lord, the cries of your people. Be gracious to us and answer us, for you are our salvation. Through Christ, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 454, Open My Eyes That I May See. And I invite you all to stand and sing with me, 454, Open My Eyes That I May See.
remind you that our offering basket is located um, as you exit uh, the sanctuary. Um, and please do remember us with your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings so that we can continue to be a place um, that offers a space for people to be, to be invited into a story that is transformational and be a space for those, all of us, to kind of open ourselves up um, to encounter Jesus along the way. Now receive this benediction. May the grace of Christ who calls you go with us. May the power of the Holy Spirit who empowers you sustain you. And may the salvation of God who loves us give you peace. Let us go forth to love and serve our Lord. Amen.